would please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time, and I just pray that you help me as I preach your word. I have uh, prepared all week uh, for a word for your people, and uh, your spirit has directed me in preparing this sermon. Now I just pray that your spirit helps me in delivering this sermon. And to those who are hearing it here, and also those who are hearing it via Facebook Live, I pray that it blesses them and that they walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, and just a reminder that there are Bibles in the seat backs, uh, you can borrow one of those if you don't have one yourself, and or if you want to look up here in the back of me, you can do that too. Uh, but we are in John chapter 14, and today, this morning, we are finishing um, John chapter 14. So where I would like to start is verse 25, and I'm going to read through verse 31, and then we can get into the text. So John 14, verse 25 through 31. Give me a second here. I'm having trouble with my eyesight this morning, so go on the glasses. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. You would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I am. Verse 29, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so we're at the end of John chapter 14. It's been a great, wonderful passage. Um, there's a lot of encouragement that comes in John 14. Going back to verse 1, Jesus talks about, he encourages the disciples and also the church to not be troubled by their current situation uh, because he is with them. He is with them always and uh, that he goes to prepare a place for them. Jesus reassures them that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father except through him. Uh, then he continues on and tells them about the Holy Spirit. He introduces the Holy Spirit to them in John chapter 14 and just gives them the wonderful blessings that the Holy Spirit is there for and how the Holy Spirit helps a believer. And now that we're closing John chapter 14, we have this last word of encouragement, and it's about God's peace, a peace that goes beyond all understanding, a peace that helps us in all situations, and a peace that we really need to hear about today. Amen? So John, or John here in John 14 closes with Jesus gifting the disciples with this peace. And it, it, as, as you read the text, it's wonderful to see because it's, it's him giving, giving them this peace. It, it's, it's a wonderful way to, to see it happen. happen. I mean, not, not many of us can give each other peace. And Jesus is giving peace to the disciples, letting them know of his presence, letting them know of, of his power. And how he would be with them uh, forever. Because essentially that's exactly what 
Jesus is promising to them. He's promising his presence and his power in their lives. And this would be present in their lives even after his departure. And Jesus' words would ease their troubled mind for what, lay, for what lied ahead. Now, today, what I want to discuss with you is how the peace that Jesus gave the disciples, how that peace applies to his church. And, uh, you know, we know that from John chapter 14, but we also know that because other scriptures uh, support that fact. Uh, Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, that's, that's a promise to the church. This is Paul writing to uh, the church in Philippi. Uh, but this promise goes beyond that church in Philippi, goes, goes throughout all of God's universal church, that we, uh, we who have the Spirit have the peace of God. And this peace of God surpasses all understanding. And this peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That means a lot for us, because there's a lot that we face. That means a lot for us because there's a lot to be discouraged about. But it doesn't matter because we have the peace of Christ. We can stand strong in any storm. See, the peace of the Lord, what we have to realize is that it is a real and powerful thing. This is not just like a, a concept that, that is, is not real, that is just make-believe and we just conjure it up ourselves. The peace of God is a real and very powerful thing. Does it, does it change our situation? Does it change things that are happening to us? No, but it changes us. And that's exactly what is needed. It's, it's us who need to change. You know, God's not always going to change our circumstance. Sometimes something that's bad is going to stay bad. But we can still have peace in that. So it's, it, this peace... It, it works in us, it changes us, it helps us to trust the Lord no matter what is going on. And that is the gift that we have received as, as his church, and it's real and it's powerful. It helps us to carry out the mission that we have, the mission that we've been called to. And what is that mission? Well, the mission is the Great Commission. I want to read for you, if you want to turn there with me, you can, Matthew 28. This is a, a classic Christian text here, Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20. Here's, here's the, the Christian mission that you have been called to. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now, now we can turn back to John 14. I wanted to read that because I think it's very important for us to hear that. We try to figure out what the purpose of life is, and the purpose of life is found in God's word. It's to please him. It's to do what we are called to do. We are called to, um, to reach the world. We do that by reaching our own community, and we work outward. So that is the mission of the church. And to put it in layman's terms, as Christians, we have to, we are called to evangelize. That's what the Great Commission calls us to. See, we are all evangelists. That's something that we have to realize. But even more so, we're called to disciple. 
And actually, we're called to be discipled as well. So it's evangelizing, discipling, and also being discipled to baptize, to teach, and to obey his word. This is our Christian calling that we get from Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Now, it's an enormous calling because this is what we ought to do every single day. This is what we should walk in, as the Bible would tell us, that we should consistently live in this, doing these things. Now, it is enormous, but, and it involves a lot of work. But while we are doing this, we have the promise of God's peace to be along there with us. Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. That in itself, it brings us peace and we're able to do what we are called to do in any circumstance. So when I speak of peace, though, I want to define it before we move on to uh, what this passage is telling us. What kind of peace has Jesus given the church? Well, the peace spoken about here is a state of well-being. It's a state of well-being and it really pertains to the peace of mind. The peace of mind that we could have in any and all circumstances. So even though things are unsettling for the disciples, as he's speaking to them, uh, they would be reminded of his word. And that's what we see in our text. Look at verse 26. 1426. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your, your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love that verse and what, what it really means for the church. As we look at the disciples' lives, like I said before, everything was kind of, you know, just falling down before them and, and everything they knew was just crumbling. But yet Christ reminds them and tells them that, that he will remind them, the Holy Spirit will remind them of everything that Christ has taught them. You know, when they were following Jesus around, it wasn't like they could walk around with a notepad and write everything down that he said. That's why Jesus made his teachings very simple. That's why he used stories, things that they could recall. But there's a, there was a supernatural work going on inside of them as well for them to be able to recall what Jesus has taught them. We're no different. Whenever we are disciples of God's word, God's spirit brings to mind his word to us. And his word brings, brings the peace that we need. Because if we are students of his word and we, we look for different things, because everything is found in his word that we need, right? Everything that we need for life and godliness is found in his word. And if we become students of his word, God will remind us of his word and will help us in, in times when we don't feel well, whenever we feel unsure. He will give us the peace that we need. But listen, just like them, we need to trust him. We need to trust him. I'll tell you what, it's a very scary thing to do something that you're not comfortable with. And everything that goes on in your mind while you're doing it, it's a very scary thing to, to, to actually go out, do it, and, and do it confidently. Because many times we're our, our own worst enemy. When we're going to go witness to somebody, we're just sitting there thinking, what if I, I don't remember what I need to say? What if I forget this passage? Thing is, is that you probably will mess up. Let me just give you the bad news up front and ahead. 
There are things that go through my mind every single Sunday I come up here to preach. The, the, the preaching that I give to you, is it flawless? No. It's full of mistakes. But I know that God is honoring the truth behind the message. Same thing is true for you as well as you share your faith. As you live your lives. You see, we're not called to be students of God's word just so that we can have knowledge. We're called to be students of his word so that when we need his word, it comes to mind. Brings encouragement. and It brings peace. And when you look at verse 26, that's exactly what Jesus is speaking to the disciples about. They were about to face something very difficult. Jesus was reassuring them that that his words would come back to them and that they would bring peace to their minds. Now, peace was available to the disciples, but they had to submit to the word of the Lord. And they had to do this first and foremost. And listen, we have to do the same thing. We have to submit to the word of the Lord first and foremost. Now, when we look at our passage, there's at least three different ways in which Christ uh, it, you know, it shows us three different ways in which Christ gives peace. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. First is that we have peace in the storms of life. We have, we, or we can have peace in the storms of life. See, when the storm is coming, we have technology to be able to warn us. Right now we have two uh, tropical storms. I think they're still tropical storms um, headed our way. And we've been warned a couple of weeks out. And, and we're grateful for that so that we can prepare. They look like they're heading a little east, so that's why I prayed for Louisiana or who, wherever they're heading, prayed for them this morning. But we can be warned because we have technology to warn us and to help us with that. And even if we don't have technology, we, we can tell by the naked eye that a storm is forming. We've learned, right, to look at the clouds. We see big, dark, uh, purple clouds. You, you can smell rain coming sometimes. And, uh, you know, all that is great, but we're able to decipher that. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus warned, warns the disciples of the coming storm. And what's the coming storm? Well, he's warning them about his trial, his crucifixion, and ultimately his death. See, that would be the, the, the biggest, worst storm that they had ever faced. And they had been through a lot with Jesus up to this point, but none of that would come close to what they were about to go through. And Jesus, in the midst of this, to help them with their fears, he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And that's why I say it's so awesome here, because it's, he's, given, he's given his peace to them. You know, he's the son of God, he has that ability to be able to give peace. You and I can give each other a word of encouragement with God's word, but God can actually give peace. And here he is leaving it with them, and it's his peace that he gives them. So my question to you today is, what storms do you face? What storms are looking you directly in the eye, questioning your faith, taking away your encouragement, your confidence in God? 
if we're truthful, we're all facing something. None of us in here are just doing great. No problems at all. We might say that, but we all know it's not true. So what storms are you facing? Is it persecution? Is it sickness? Is it doubt? Are you dealing with a death? Is it addiction? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Are you, are you dealing with just rebellion? Is there a divorce in your life now that you're dealing with? Anxiety about going back to school, about this whole COVID-19 thing? Uncertainty? I mean, we can go on and on and on. Is it, is it you're about to lose your job? Are you afraid you're going to? See, no matter what storms are brewing in your life, God has given you the ability to have peace of mind. Why? Because you belong to him. He has given you the ability to have peace of mind as you remember his word and as you trust him. And church, that's so important. We have to remember his word and we have to trust him in our storms. See, it's when we get away from his word and when we get away from trusting him, that's when we get in trouble. That's when we begin to backslide. That's when we begin to live out in rebellion. That's when we fall back in fear. We must remember that he who commands the winds and the waves, that he is the Lord of our storm too. We serve a mighty God who calls on us to trust him. Again, does it change your storm? Does it change your circumstance? No. But it does something powerful in you. It changes your mindset. It changes your heart. In the midst of the storm that you are enduring, you can have peace of mind because you belong to Christ. Now, the second way that we see God's peace is that he gives us a peace for all time. Let's look at verse 27. Not only does he give us a peace for our, the storms of life, but he gives us peace for all time. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We must remember that any worldly thing we receive, it's fading. The Bible says that all things are fading. What does that mean? Well, they're temporary. They all have a, they all have a shelf life. How many of y'all go to the refrigerator in the morning, you look at your milk, and if, if, if it has the date of today, how many of y'all throw it out? I, I do. I don't even smell it. I don't even test it. I do not want rotten milk in my mouth at all. Everything has a shelf life here on earth. That's what it means for it to be fading. John, uh, 1 John 2.17 says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
If you didn't get that scripture reference, it's 1 John 2, 17. See, even the best that the world can offer is temporary. Even the best that the world could offer is tentative. But the things that God offers are both eternal and sure. See, this verse not only speaks to how eternal things are, but it also speaks to how a worldly system is and how God's system is different. A worldly system is in rebellion against God. See, but the peace that Christ offered to the disciples and subsequently the peace that he offers to his church is a peace for all occasion and it aligns with his will. Let's look at verse 28. Jesus says, you heard me say to you that I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I am. Now, when he speaks to the Father being greater than than him, that is in reference to Jesus returning to the Father who sent him. And we just have to remember that they are of one essence. Everything's from the Father through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is speaking into the way in which they work. He is going back to the Father who sent him. See, the peace we have received, we have received it through faith. It is a gift of God. Why? So that we can't boast about it. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that. But the peace we have received, it is through faith. But just as the disciples should have rejoiced at hearing that Jesus is going back to the Father, we must have peace of mind even though Christ is not physically with us. For them to see or to hear that Christ was going back to the Father, they may have thought, Everything they worked for it was gone. It was, the ending was not the ending they were thinking of. They were discouraged by that. And Jesus says, no, you have, the wrong, you have the wrong thought about what is going on. You have the wrong idea about what is going on. I am going back to the Father because we've won. I am going back to the Father because I am going to be glorified. You should be happy about that. And even though he wasn't going to be with them, he's reassuring them that he will be with them. And see, you and I, we're not alone either. You and I have the presence of his spirit. That's exactly what John chapter 14 is about. The second half of that, saying that he lives in us. Remember, going back to John chapter 14, the big, or somewhere in the middle, where it talks about how the father and the son, that they make their home in the believer. You and I are capable of having peace that goes beyond all understanding because we have the Father and because we have the Son. See, the Holy Spirit brings us peace that lasts forever. He brings us peace that dwells within us. He brings us peace that causes us to see God in all things. And he brings us peace that supplies us what we need for life and godliness. Now, if we, for some reason or another, can't maintain peace, it's not God's fault. God has done what he has promised to do. If we can't maintain peace, that's a problem with our faith. That's the problem with, with, with our hearts. It's a problem with the way we are trusting God or, or really not trusting God. 
And then the third way that we see that God gives us peace is that he gives us peace against the enemy. Jesus says in verses 29 and 30, he says this, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. I want to stop there for a second. Jesus is speaking about the ruler of this world. He is, he is speaking about the enemy. He's speaking about the devil. And his reference that the devil was coming is speaking about the hardships and the tensions of the crucifixion. And what the disciples would go through and what Jesus would go through essentially as well. When you look at the crucifixion, we have the wonderful ability to be able to look backwards and see and, and understand the story. But if we were there at that time, it would be very traumatic for us. And we would have trouble understanding the implications of the crucifixion and what, was it, what exactly was going on. That's exactly what the disciples were going through. Because when you saw the crucifixion when it was happening, it would seem like the devil was, um, was celebrating his greatest victory. Why? Because the Son of God was placed on the cross and... He was, he, he, was, he was sacrificed, and he died. He was buried, and it seemed like it was all over. So for them, it seemed like they lost. Everything was lost, and it was the, the devil's greatest victory, but in fact, it was his greatest defeat. And that's why Jesus says in verses 30 and 31, and speaking about the devil, he says, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. See, even as we live out our calling against the schemes of the enemy, because they are there, as we're living out our calling, we are being attacked. We have to recognize that. If you don't, if you don't believe in, in, in the schemes of the enemy, if you don't believe in evil attacking you, then, then you have to... You have to basically separate yourself from all things that are spiritual. The attacks of the enemy are a real thing. But the peace of God is also a real thing. So even as we live out our calling against the schemes of the enemy, the peace of the Lord can still sustain us. Let's turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's another classic text. 1 Peter chapter 5. When you're there, give me an amen. All right, so 1 Peter 5. Let's start with verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you may, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. See, the enemy, what we have to realize is that the enemy is a liar. That's, that's all he is. He's a liar. There's more to him than that, but what I mean by that's all he is, is that is him. There is no good in him at all. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He cannot be trusted one bit. And his lies are one way that he attacks us. What do I mean? Well, he lies to you about your justification. He makes you think that what Christ did on the cross really wasn't good enough for your sin. How do I know that? Because many people deal with that day in, day out. They have no idea. They've proclaimed Christ. They believe in him wholeheartedly. They've repented of their sin, and yet they walk around not knowing if they are saved. Why? Because they believe the lies of the enemy. The Bible tells us he died once and for all. And that his blood was more powerful than any sin. But yet people walk around very unsure about that. Now there are some people who walk around who should be unsure about that. If their faith is not true, if they're, if they're not living a life of repentance. But I'm talking about God-fearing, repentful people who walk around afraid that if they commit another sin, that they will be damned to hell. That is the lie of the enemy. He is lying about your justification. He lies about our sanctification. He tells us that we're not any better than we used to be. He, he lies and tells us that Christ is really not working in us. That what we're doing is completely wrong and we're just doing it for the wrong reasons that we should just quit, give up. The life that we want to live for Christ, he says, don't worry about that. Just live for yourself. And he lies about our sin. He lies about our sin and sometimes he approaches us and says, you know that thing that you want to do? The thing that you're, you've been wanting to do? Just go ahead and do it. God will forgive you anyway. Just give in just one time. It's not going to hurt anybody. No one will know. No one will see you. See, it's not only lying on the positive side, but it's also lying on the negative side. He is a complete liar. It's important to remember that we can resist him. We can resist these lies standing firm in our faith. First Peter says that he will restore us, he will conform us, confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us. 
But through the attacks of the enemy, we must maintain a peace of mind, knowing what we have been called to do and walking in that. Sometimes our greatest battles are against our own minds. We know the truth of God's word. Yet in our mind, we think we know better. That's why when you go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, it says to humble yourselves. To submit to the word of God. First and foremost. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will bring you the peace that you need. So in Christ, we have peace with God and we also have peace from God. That's an amazing thing. Peace with God. We're no longer enemies with him. We are children of his and we are heirs with Christ. So we have peace with God, but then also we have peace from God. In any and all situations, we can trust in him. So I want to end with this. Though you may face trials of many kinds, God's word says, do not let your hearts be troubled, but to trust in him and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray.